Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. You wake up early morning, early Sunday morning. It's still dark. Your head still hurts from the crying and the trauma you witnessed two days ago. Darkness, sadness, hopelessness permeate you every moment. Think about this for a moment. The one that you followed, the way they spoke of him, made you believe he was invincible, right? The liberator of the captives, the uplifter of the downtrodden, the redeemer of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ. And yet, he is dead. You saw it. You stayed until the very last moment when, you excla- when he exclaimed that it is finished. Unaware of what he meant, all you know is that he breathed his last breath. And you are still under Roman rule. You are still marginalized, even amongst your own people. Unredeemed, lost, without hope. The men in your midst cowered from the moment. They left early. They denied even knowing the one you were there to support, right? But you did not. You were there to be with him in every moment of his pain. And despite all of this pain, exhaustion, despite the hopelessness, you wake up early morning. It's still dark. And you, the women who followed Jesus, go to the tomb, spices in hand. Growing up as a uh, young Christian, I was never moved by the lead-up to Easter Sunday. I'll be honest. Why celebrate Good Friday? What's good about death, right? I knew the end of the story. I'd seen the movie multiple times. Why grieve on Good Friday when I know he gets up early Easter Sunday, right? But I'll be honest, it's, it's because I didn't understand hopelessness. I had a pretty clean view of the world and even of my own sin, pretty high view of myself, right? Yeah, things can be bad, but generally, we're fine. Generally, I'm okay. Yet the farther I get from my youth, the more I realize the depth of my sin and the depth of the brokenness of our world. And the results can often be holy Saturday hopelessness. So while I cannot fully understand the depth of hopelessness the followers of Jesus experienced on Friday and Saturday— In the midst of what would feel like silence from God, I do understand the idea, the feeling that God is silent. The ongoing school shootings, the lack of response, systemic racism, dehumanization, God, do you hear us? Cancer, COVID, chronic pain, God, do you hear us? My addiction, The way I continually hurt people and don't feel like I can break from it. My selfishness. God, do you hear me? What is it that these things share in common, right? What is it about all of these sort of scenarios I explained? Besides the fact that they just sort of feel bad, right? Why is it that these things are what make us feel like the disciples on Saturday? That God is silent. The answer is is death. Death, yes, in the sense that physical death results from many of these things, right? 
but also death as the antithesis of life flourishing. Death as the antithesis of life abundant. Where life ought to flourish, death has permeated. Life flourishing would be all people, regardless of skin color, having fair shots at jobs, particular housing, and freedom, right? Yet death permeates. Life flourishing would be freedom from disease, pandemic, freak accidents, miscarriages, and yet death permeates. Life flourishing would be freedom from addiction. It would be a feeling of freedom from my self-absorbed thoughts, an ability to lift others up, and yet so often death permeates. And why is that? Why would God create a world where death permeates? What was this his intent? No. Death permeates because of sin, right? The result of sin is death. Our sin, but also the reality of living in a sinful, broken world. Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death. What started in the garden with Adam and Eve when they ate of the, true, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil continued with Cain murdering Abel, continued with the Israelites time and time again turning their backs on God, continued with religious leaders in the temple exploiting people, and continues with us today as we turn our backs on God time and time again. Death permeates because sin persists. Now, this might not be the story you expected to to hear when you showed up on Sunday morning, right? We just sang a couple of pretty celebratory songs, rightfully so, and then I jumped straight into Death Permeates. But I'm afraid we can miss the depth of the cross when we don't recognize the depth that we need it, right? And so this morning, let us, as we continue our Easter service, position ourselves with the women who are heading to the tomb, arms full of spices and hearts heavy with grief. When we think about this idea of permeating death, we as a people have invented many ways to deal with it, right? We are very creative. Early in the 16th century, that's for the 1500s for those of you keeping track, uh, world exploration was on the, the mind of every powerful country, right? Spain was one of those powerhouses at the time, and so they commissioned Juan Ponce de Leon to travel west to the mostly unexplored world, right? Now, Ponce de Leon had previously traveled with Columbus on his second expedition in 1493. I had to sing the song real quick. Um, (laughs) So his motivation was not purely exploration. He had already done that. Some writings from the, pr- from the time provide two reasons Ponce de Leon returned back west. One was to establish Spanish colonies, right? The other, uh, and a little bit more pertinent to our time this morning, was to find the Fountain of Youth, which had been rumored to be in the Bahamas. Now, for those unaware, maybe it's true, but the Fountain of Youth is a mythical spring which allegedly restores the youth of anyone who drinks in it or bathes in it, right? Drinks of it or bathes in it. Uh, It is included in writings as early as the 5th century BC and shows up in writings throughout history. So what better way to deal with permeating death than to return to our youth just by drinking some water, right? Yet, the exploration for the Fountain of Youth is a perfect example of what so, what so often happens when we creatively try 
on our own to deal with permeating death. As you can probably guess, Ponce de Leon did not find it. He is dead. But... So, I thought that was funny too, but I didn't know you guys would, so... Glad that landed first time. Um, what he did do, though, right? He did not find the fountain of youth. He did steal from, murder, and colonize, colonize indigenous people in Puerto Rico and Florida, right? You see, his attempts to find the solution to permeating death just expedited the permeation of death within indigenous communities. While we are a creative people, we are not stronger than death. And while our attempts to find the solution to permeating death are not as often as big or as clear as Ponce de Leon's, we all have our ways of dealing with it, don't we? And let me be clear, I don't think trying to find ways to deal with permeating death is an inherently bad thing. I think actually we've been given the urge to fight against death because I, we were made for flourishing life. We were made for the garden, right? And so that's not a bad thing, but we attempt to deal with permeating death in a variety of ways that will never lead us to flourishing life. And so the way we deal with permeating death highlights where we believe life comes from, right? And that brings us back to the text. The women who followed Jesus returned to the tomb early Sunday morning when it was still dark. They went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices, and yet when they arrived, the tomb, uh, the stone was rolled away. Confused, they entered the tomb. And Jesus' body was nowhere to be found. And then two men who were glowing like lightning come to the women, right? I often wonder if it was the same glow that Moses' face had when he spent time with God. These men come and they ask them a question that I want to ask us this morning. And I want to be clear, the women here were not in the wrong. They came to honor Jesus even in death, right? Even as the men scattered indoors. But the questions these gleaming men asked is still a convicting question for us this morning. And that question is, why do you look for the living among the dead? Now, the women were, in the very literal sense, right, looking for Jesus amongst tombs, amongst the dead. But let's apply the same question to ourselves this morning. As we face permeating death, why do we look for living among the dead? I've told you this before, um, but for those of you who are new, uh, you get to know me a little bit. Being liked by people is often where I think flourishing life is found. Now, is being liked wrong? No, right? But when I make it the ultimate source of flourishing life, my livelihood is dependent on what someone else thinks of me, right? I'm looking for the living among the dead. Where do you seek for the living among the dead? Maybe for some of you, it's in your addictions, right? The short-lived reprieve from the realities of permeating death. Maybe for you, it's financial stability. If I have this much, death will not be able to permeate our very sturdy and cushy walls, right? We can protect ourselves from rubbing shoulders with this death, is what you tell yourself. Maybe for you, it's very good things. Your marriage, your children, your ministry, things that are good and yet not ultimate. Where do you seek for the living among the dead? So where does this leave us, right? Asking us, 
this question. Um, I think if our responses to permeating death are falling short, if we are seeking for the living among the dead, we have to ask ourselves, then what? What do we do? Do we just wallow in hopelessness, not seeking any reprieve from the darkness? Yes. No, I'm kidding. The answer is no, clearly, right? Yeah, I hope that was clear. Um, the implication of the gleamings men's words is not that we stop looking, right? It's that we look for the living among the living. You know what's interesting is that in order to defeat this permeating death, a death had to occur. When Jesus went to the cross that Passover Friday and died, he was now succumbing to the inevitability of death that I have laid out. He was defeating it. Or sorry, he was not succumbing to the death that I laid out, right? He was defeating it. How is that so? Why did Jesus die? Uh, I, I think I've told this story before, but I used to work in college ministry at Northwestern, go Cats. And uh, when I was there, thank you, Christabel. Uh, when I was there three times, uh, when I was on staff, we uh, twice went to Ocean City, New Jersey on a summer mission. Um, while we were there, we trained, equipped students to walk with Jesus and, fair, and share their faith uh, for a lifetime. And one of the ways we would do that is we would walk on the boardwalk that's there right along the ocean, and we would do these surveys with high school, college students um, about life and spiritual things is what we would say. And it was uh, a buildup into sharing the gospel. So we'd share our faith there on the boardwalk. And one of the main questions we would always build up to is why Jesus had to die, this question I just asked you. You see, most of the students we talked to in the Ocean City, Philadelphia area grew up Catholic, and so they knew the story. And they knew somehow Jesus had to die because of love. It was related to love in some capacity, right? By far, the number one answer we got as to why Jesus had to die was that he loved us, which is true, right? That's great. But I would always ask a follow-up question because that's a pretty broad answer that not a lot of people would really be, be able to explain. And so my response was, why does him dying on a cross 2,000 years ago exhibit that he loves us? And the answer was always, uh, you would sit there, I'd ask the question, the person we would talk to would be like, hmm, well, it's just like a, a big thing that he had to do to show he loved us, Right? Just as you think about any love movie where they do this grand gesture, Jesus' grand gesture was to die. Um, when you think about it, I want you to think about this for a minute, though. Say Jamie, my wife, and I are in the kitchen. And I go, Jamie, I love you so much. And she often, when I say that, she'll say, prove it. Um, <laughs> don't believe me, ask her. Uh, and I say, okay. The way I'm going to prove it, Jamie, is I'm going to go out into the street. I'm going to get hit by a car, right? I'm going to die for you. She's going to look at me crazy, right? Like, that makes no sense. Why would I die in order to show that I love her? Leaving her and Alex behind. That actually probably shows the opposite, does it not? So then how does Jesus' death show us that he loved us? Well, it goes back to what I said earlier about why death exists in the first place, our sin. You see, every single day, we fall short of the glory of God in thought and in word and in deed. You find someone who has never sinned, who is perfect, and I will show you a liar, right? Like, all of us fall short of perfection, 
And what is the consequence of that? What is the consequence of our sin? It's death. What we deserve for turning our backs on God is separation from him, right? You turn your back on a relationship, that relationship breaks. But Jesus did not sin, right? Jesus lived a perfect life. He was flawless in thought and in deed and in action. He knew no sin, so he did not deserve death. But God, he saw our situation. He heard our cries. He knew we needed to be rescued. So Jesus, despite the fact that he sustains all of the heavens and earth by his word, right? Despite the fact that he held, holds the breath of every, every living creature in his hand, including the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross, despite all of that, Jesus took on the cross. He took on death, the death we deserved in our place. Now, taking our punishment was one thing, but had Jesus stayed in the grave like the women thought he had on that early Sunday morning when it was dark, it would have all been for nothing, right? You see, Jesus could have taken the punishment of sin up until that point. But do you know what people would have continued to do? Sin. So Jesus, taking our death and staying in the grave would have meant that we would have continuously needed the sacrificial lamb in our place over and over, which is where the hope of Easter Sunday comes into play, right? The story of the cross did not end at the cross. Jesus did not die to pay the price and stay in the grave. He did not just go to the cross to die the death we deserve. He went in order to defeat death entirely. Because he knew death would have the first word on Good Friday, but he also knew three days later, when it was still dark on that Sunday morning, he would get up. Eternal victory would be his. The grave would be empty and the light of the world would be alive. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? You see, when we're looking for the living, the only place we can look to is Jesus, right? He is our only hope, our only salvation, our flourishing life. Because he died and rose again, we can live and have victory over death in our own lives. So death might feel like it's permeating right now, right? You may feel surrounded by the troubles of this world and the temptations of your mind. You may feel like the women did early on that Sunday morning, that it's still dark. But know, beloved, that death might be allowed to permeate right now, but his stay is short and his impact is limited. Death has lost. And there is coming a day, and that day will last forever, when we hear a loud voice from a throne that says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He has risen. He has risen. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. 
We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.